Before we start this podcast, I want to definitely remind you of a sponsor for Fresh of the Word, 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams, along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest. In a world of wrestling where there's hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads, don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. So if you'd like to discuss a possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or even Zubaz, then drop them a line at 20by20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20apparel.com. And also check out their enamel pin line. It's super cool. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bummy, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yell about it though. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grindin' shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kids, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier, and this is episode 185. My guest for this episode is Jackie Von Spanks, a pinup girl and an illustrator. Her work is based on mid-century and pinup illustrations, which she interprets into her favorite characters from movies, TVs, comics, horror, sci-fi, and fantasy culture. Recently, she launched the Selling for Introverts show on YouTube, helping introverted artists get out of their bubble and into the art world. So, without further ado, let's get into the interview with... Yeah, I've been um, checking out your um, your artwork online. Uh, I've been following you since that um, that episode with uh, Leanna, and uh, I really like your style, you know, like, uh, I, li- I like your, you know, mix of, you know, nerdy horror stuff and and pin-up stuff and everything, so it's... A, I like... I like it all. Yeah. That's my problem. <laughs> when, you know, because I was just, you know, reading a little bit about you on your, um, on your website and you went to, um, you went to the Fashion Institute of Technology. Then you were also with, uh, at the Ringling, uh, College of Art and Design. Sort of, you know, how do those sort of, you know, those two things sort of mesh together and how did that sort of, uh, come together with things that you're interested in? Well, for, uh, well, so FIT actually has a full art program, which a lot of people don't know about. I actually went for illustration there. Okay. Um, I had the way that they used to do the program. They don't do it any, it's not structured anymore like this, but they would actually have half of the program for the associate's degree would be fashion illustration. So you would get to experiment to see if you like fashion illustration or you were more interested in general illustration, which generally, you know, just general illustration. Um, and I liked both. I've always been super into fashion. My mom actually went to FIT too. So it's always been a huge part of my life, like just clothing and like aesthetics and textiles, like always been there. Um, and Ringling, I, I switched, I switched schools because of the program. FIT is more traditionally based. So had I stayed there for a bachelor's degree, I would have been focusing on realistic oil painting, but Ringling focuses more heavily on digital program. So in my bachelor's degree, I was focusing on digital work versus traditional work. Oh, okay. Nice, nice, nice. When, you know, 
just sort of, uh, you know, looking at a lot of the things that you've uh, done, you know, I see, you know, you know, the types of things that you are really into, you know, how do you feel like, you know, you know, when you're going into making any of the artwork that you want to make, you know, what sort of your mind state about what you want to do, you know, and what, what are like some of your biggest influences? Uh, so just throwing Mary Blair is probably my biggest influence as a painter that and like, I, I, it goes everywhere. I'm influenced by everything. I love Frank Frazetta. Um, I love Alphonse Mucha, uh, Beardsley. I'm influenced by different time period artists. I think that's my biggest thing is I really often don't like contemporary art or contemporary illustration. I prefer older artwork and aesthetics from like printmaking and just paintings and oil paintings. And when I graduated school, I wasn't a painter. But the older I got, the more connected I got to painting. And I discovered that I am a painter. And I just want to express my love for all the things I was into as a child. And now also, like, I still love Star Wars, still love <laughs> The Dark Crystal, still love horror movies. I watched the trailer for Halloween and my the new Halloween, my, my head was exploding like three seconds ago <laughs> for Skype call because I saw John Carpenter posted the the new movies and I was like, oh, new Halloween, I can't. Because <laughs> it's, but it's really interesting because I have such a different style in, and I wouldn't say, I have a set style because I think it's really naive to expect an artist to draw the same way all the time. Right. I right. think the piece of artwork should really reflect like what you're trying to convey. So if I felt like drawing a little bit differently on a certain piece, I would because I think artists should be multifaceted. And if you draw the same way all the time, you're never going to learn or really grow as an artist. Cause if you look at all the amazing painters, they never painted the same thing or the same way through their whole lives. It's always evolving, always changing, right. always trying something new. And I think that's an amazing part of art is that you don't have to do the same thing all the time. You know, when I look at your, you know, all the things that you have posted online, I see like there's a mixture of like humor and sexiness and a lot of it, you know, how, you know, how important is it to sort of like not take yourself seriously and have this like funness and everything that you do? Uh, I think, uh, it's because I went to, uh, uh, this is a perfect story to explain it. When I started going to Ringling, me and my mom would joke that I'm going to clown college, Ringling clown college of art and design. <laughs> Everyone at Ringling in the administration department would be like, that's not funny. That's not funny. You shouldn't joke about that. And I'm like, what the, uh, the, the, <laughs> John and Mabel Ringling, the Ringling family founded this college. It's, it's founded by the circus. Why can't you just admit it that it's a clown college? So I've always had a weird sort of sick sense of humor. Also coming back to the horror movies, I watched a lot of trauma growing up. So I have a very sick sense of humor and I also love the campiness and the kitschiness and the over-the-topness. And I, I love camp. I don't think I would ever live my life without having, like, camp and B-horror and, like, that B-comedy in my life. Because it's so over-the-top. It's just fantastic. When <laughs> – yeah, speaking of camp, like, that was, the, um, that was the theme of the Met Gala this year. You know, what did you think about that? I – really didn't look at it because I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about the Met Gala because uh, I can never afford to go and it's all about how much money you have. Right. <laughs> What's you more likely find me at like an underground wrestling match. Oh yeah, wrestling. I'm a big wrestling fan. Do you go to a lot of the um, like indie wrestling shows and stuff? Yeah, actually, we have one coming up, uh, Murder on the Bayou 2, Casanova Valentine, another death, death match, and uh, it's kind of, now that we've, we've recently moved to Brooke, uh, to New Orleans, so 
uh, just trying to find roots and finding things that we like and enjoy in the city is interesting. Okay. So I really haven't found a lot of independent matches. I found a bunch out in Baton Rouge, but that's an hour away. Right, driving. right. So yeah, eventually, but I do love I do love the independent matches. They're they're a lot more fun than I like I like WWE, but it's just too kid friendly. Right. I think they should just make they have the what they have. The pro, they have the the service. I think that they should make one adult program that's like eighteen and up. Oh, for that, people that for people that enjoy ECW and all the uh, all the shit from like the two thousand and nineties. No, give adults something that's not kid friendly. Right. I think, I think that would bring the fans back. I think they're starting to um, touch on a little bit more adult oriented stuff. Um, now, past couple of weeks, there's been, you know, you know, more use of the word like bitch and bastard and stuff like that. So, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I just, I feel like, you know, I meet so many wrestling fans that are like, oh, I just don't like what it is now. And I think that if they specifically made an adult program, like for adults, not for kids, you know, super violent. Because that, I feel like that's what a lot of wrestling fans like, which is horrible to say. But that realness, that yeah. oh, this is freaking real. Even though I'm not admitting that n- people don't get hurt when they're performing the moves, but yeah. it's all pre-scripted. Right, right, and it's oh. a lot of jabber jawing and blah blah blah. And but oh, ha- there's a contract signing today. Oh yeah, we know how that's gonna ha- end. <laughs> have you uh, have you it's seen? Have you checked out any of the uh, the AEW pay per views? I haven't. Oh, those are, those have been really good. Yeah, I mean we 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 really need to get uh the we need to get back on watching uh, new New Japan. Oh yeah, New Japan, it's great. We're in the like, middle of the G one climax right now, so I know I need to like get pers- get all updated and. Pay for that, but yeah, that's the, <laughs> yeah, the G1 climax. So that's like for a new Japan fan, even for a new Japan fan, you're like, this is the hardest time of the year <laughs> to get, to keep up. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, um, I'll, why did you make the move to uh, New Orleans? And have you found anything cool down there thus far to like sink your teeth in? So the move was really to escape the prices of Brooklyn. Rent is getting really high. The price to live is really high. And for an artist, it's not really that friendly unless your partner or your roommates are paying a majority of the rent. Um, Yeah. They raised their rent to over $17,000 for a two-bedroom, which is still a good price in Brooklyn, believe it or not. Like, that's cheap for Brooklyn, which is amazing. But the move, we've always, I've always loved New Orleans. I've been coming here for years now. Okay. Um, and it was just a change of pace. It's it's a really friendly art art. It's an art friendly community for one thing. Um, they have, I believe this is correct, but don't quote me on it. They passed some laws making it a right to work state, and. A right-to-work state says you don't need to be in a union or anything to work, but I also believe it took away um, the permits you needed for selling in the French Quarter, which the French Quarter is renowned for artists to set up and sell their paintings of the city for tourists. Okay. And I can do that now because I love this city, and who's to say you won't see some crawfish paintings from me, like drinking Bloody Mary. It's partying. (laughs) Right. Or maybe some... Big booty hoes celebrating Mardi Gras. Still, <laughs> still sexy, still in my alley, but it fits the city. You know what do you what do you love about New Orleans? Uh, I've never been anywhere that has an energy energy like this city. It's just so old, and there's really few places you can go in the country that are like it. It doesn't feel like anywhere else. Everyone is really kind here, though. There's the city has its problems, like any city. It's it's just it's. I think it's the gem of the United States. I think if you haven't been to New Orleans, you should stop what you're doing and plan a trip, because it's such a beautiful place. It 
nowhere else in the country has freelance jazz music insurance for jazz musicians. They can literally get insurance and play freelance jazz. Oh, nice. Where else in the country has that insurance for musicians? No, nowhere else. I think there's a lot of amazing things about this city that the rest of the country could really benefit off of like programs that actually support music and the arts, which it's slowly returning, but I think there's a huge gap between, you know, digital art and traditional artists that's not being met. Right. Why do you think that is? That there's that, that gap. Digital is quick. Digital is cheap. I mean, I have lots of people that ask me for original paintings and then they find out how much they are and they're like, well, can you do a $20 sketch on your computer? I'm like, no. That devalues the price of my art. I would never do that. And though I commend artists for doing them to make to doing the quick sketches for money, I think it really puts a damper on people that put a lot of time and energy into art when they sell themselves themselves for like twenty dollars for a sketch. You know how how important is it just in general do you, to for artists to value their work like that? I think it's extremely important and it's really hard because a lot of people are like, oh, you're selling this for so-and-so, that's not worth it. But who are you to say what the true value of the work is? You don't know the time, the energy put into it, the emotional energy, and just like the cost of materials, like some paint for a tiny one milliliter tube of paint could be like over $10. Like it's expensive. It's expensive to be an artist. So I think not losing faith in what you do, but also learning how to appropriately sell your work. Like for originals, for instance, I've come to a place where I can budget my original paintings in a certain price range. So I can tell people, well, if you're looking for something original in this price range, I have it versus if you want something huge and elaborate, there's in a more expensive price range, but I think it's really learning how to sell to your audience because everyone's buyers are different. How are you able to sort of get to know your audience, sort of establish those sort of guidelines in your mind about how you're going to value your artwork? Uh, It was a lot of, I think it's a lot of trial and error. And I think meeting people in person, I, then did a lot of horror movie conventions and I do car shows and rockabilly events. And by actually meeting people and talking to them, you can really get to know them a lot better than you can online. Though I'm not denying the internet hasn't opened up doors for people that do have problems going out to events and meeting people. Or if you're located far away, like I've sent original artwork all the way over to Germany before and it wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for Instagram. Right, right, right. You know, when you're at these events, you just mentioned just sort of like a wide array of these events that you go to. You know, what sort of uh, conversations are you having with people to get to know your audience? Well, I normally talk about similar interests. A lot of the time conversations come up because they are intrigued by a piece of artwork or they connect with it or they're just a general fan. Um, And sometimes I'm just, I see someone, I'm like, I like your shirt, come talk to me (laughs) if I'm bored. Sometimes it's as easy as that, it's just like striking up a conversation. Um, Yeah. You know, maybe you know, maybe I, I just wasn't really paying attention, you know, in previous years or whatnot, but you know, you're part of the, the pinup culture also that's a big part of you and it seems like that is becoming more and more popular it seems like uh, these days you know is that is that a fair assessment to say i honestly would assume that but it's that goes with any sort of fandom or culture i think with the internet we're able to connect and find people a lot easier we'll be able to find clothing music like Think about early 2000s, how hard it was to find like a CD of a band you wanted or a, a underground movie. Right. Like, the internet has changed everything and it's allowed people to connect and really get into their fandoms way more than we have been in the past. 
you know, what do you feel like is the place for the pinup culture in 2019? Because when I see a lot of this, I, I, I see a lot of empowerment. I uh, see these women using it to get across some sort of a message. You know, what do you see is the place for the pinup culture these days? I think it should be a part of everyone's lives. Um, if you're into it, but I, the main message about it is we're all beautiful. We all, we, we are who we are and there's no discrimination. I think a lot of, uh, the fashion world has influenced young, very young impressionable girls to think very, very shallow of themselves. Yeah. Um, all about how skinny you are or what your weight is and, that, that has nothing to do. Pinup culture is about being comfortable with who you are and your own skin and just looking fabulous. And I think that a lot of people would benefit for do, from doing a pinup photo shoot for the first time. It's very empowering. You see yourself in a different light. And it you just feel wonderful when you put on those stockings with the garters and your high heels. It's just amazing. Yeah, I always see, you know, diff, you know, women of different sizes and looks and curls and and of co- different colors. You know, whenever I see a group of uh, pinup models together, it's always a diverse group of people. So it's like, you know, how, you know, how important is it to be able to really show that off to people? I I think it's important to show it off, but at the same time, it shouldn't be shown off. It should come naturally. If you love something, you should be able to share it with other people. It shouldn't matter what their background is, what their heritage is, what the color of their skin is. Like if, if everyone loves something and they share a common interest, we should just welcome everyone with open arms. The stuff that you uh, do in regards to the pinup culture you know, is there anything specific that you like to uh, speak out about when you sort of have this platform, when you sort of have, you know, people paying attention to you? You know, is there anything that you like to speak out about specifically? Uh, I personally like to speak out about um, mental health and how it really does affect so many of us. Um, there's an awesome group of women out of New Jersey called Pinups for Mental Health Awareness. And yeah. they are all about sharing the message that we are a community of love and we care about each other and just really spreading that message that it's okay to have your flaws. Like we're here to support one another. So we should be able to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of that group. Uh, I think my friend Katie is a part of that. Oh, Katie. LOL. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone knows Katie. I go to concerts and they're like, do you know Katie? And I'm like, how does this keep happening? <laughs> Everyone knows Katie. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Everyone should know her. <laughs> but the, the other girls in the group, they really are spreading an awesome message because there is a lot of cattiness in the pinup community okay. that is deeply rooted in the past, which I think a lot of girls are trying to push away out of our community now in the future. What, you know... What do you, you know, what are you doing to sort of, you know, get rid of that cattiness? Like, what do you feel like anybody that is entering, like, the pinup world should, you know, should do to sort of be a, you know, a civil part of that, of, of that sort of fandom? I, I think it's, a, it's, it's as simple as being yourself, loving yourself, and being true to who you are, and, you know... There will always be haters and people that are nasty, but as long as you stick firm with your guns and you stay true to who you are, you know, you'll meet the right people and you'll meet, honestly, you'll meet amazing women and men. You'll meet everyone in the community that you want to, but I think it just really depends, just, just being true to who you are and expressing yourself. Um, uh, I've had my bumps with, with women where I've, I've been really upset about it and I wish it didn't happen. And, you know, reaching out to them and apologizing or speaking to them about it really helps in, to smooth things out because, you know, not everyone's going to get along. Right. And that's the truth with life. You're not going to get along with everyone. Not everyone gets along. 
but you know just letting them know that you don't have a problem with them that you love them and you support them for what they do i think that's what's important how you know with all the like the crazy stuff like going on in our uh in our country or just around the world in regards to um trying to police women's bodies and there's all sorts of laws tied to regulating people in the LGBTQ community. Um, like, how important is it to have fandoms like that in this world? I think it's extremely important. And that, it, not just in the pinup community, but I think in any fandom, I think we should be more open and welcoming to everyone because, you know, everyone's story is different. Everyone has suffered their own pains. And, you know, if you love someone as much as someone else does, there shouldn't be, there shouldn't be issue unless they're like a straight asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's what I love about every meeting people is I love to meet someone that is so passionate about their fandom. Like whether it be Harry Potter or Star Trek, like I love when someone's passionate about something. I think that really makes a person when they love their fandom enough that it's a part of their life. In regards to all the things that you do, you, um, like I'm seeing on your website, you have your pinup illustration, your general in illustration, and then some of your logo and uh, graphic design. What, you know, how do, how do you sort of go about, you know, any project that you're doing uh, whether it's something you're just doing for yourself or you're doing for a uh, or a client or somebody that wants to commission something for you. Sort of, you know, what goes through your head when figuring stuff out? Uh, well, everything always starts with brainstorming and sketching and coming up with ideas. Uh, paper and pencil, old school. I just draw it out till I figure it out. I figure it out. And, you know, I think that's, the biggest thing is drawing. I think that's the beginning process is really drawing, getting your thumbnails clear, and then moving on to a finished product after that. You know, how important is it for you to, you know, go through the sort of trial and error, you know, the failures of everything to get to that, that, that finishing point? Uh, I, it's really important. And also a huge thing that I don't think enough young artists have learned yet is that you have to accidents and art happen you can either learn from them and embrace them or you can reject them failures will teach you more than a million successes will you'll only learn by trial and error was there was there ever is there anything that sticks out in your mind where at first it was a mistake a failure and then you realize, yo, that was dope. And then it led to something different, something like really successful for you. Uh, I, I actually think it was my development of the current style I've been drawing in. Um, though I really love, like, like I said, all sorts of different art time period pieces. Like when I started my, um, my bachelor's degree, I was really heavily into Art Nouveau. And I drew in that style for a very long period. And just, I had a project where I tried something different. I did something super graphic and super flat and everyone loved it. And it really pissed me off that everyone liked something that was so easy and brainless for me to do. It just annoyed me. But then <laughs> I kept thinking about it. I'm like, maybe this is what I'm good at. Maybe I should stick with this. Maybe they have a point. So it's really like, you know, you put a very little thought or energy into it, but others like it so much. I think that's like a weird sort of feeling, which most artists can have where they put zero energy into something and everyone loves it, but something they spend days to weeks to months on gets very little attention and they get frustrated about it. Right. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people, I think it's just like a general consensus that you should like like struggle and go through pain, whether it's for art or exercising or whatever, that you just should always go through this sort of painful, painstaking, you know, tiring process to 
to really be doing whatever you're supposed to be doing. But when sometimes it, it, you know, I guess it should be simple to you or there's a less complicated way to get to that, you know? So I, I think, yeah, I think that's a, just a thing that a lot of us just have programmed in our mind. Felice Herrig, she was talking about, um, there was this time she was going on a, she's on a bit of a losing streak. And um, so she, you know, decided to kind of change things up. And she was talking with someone and she, and they were basically saying, you're, the way you're thinking, the way you're going about this, you're only using at the most 50% of your potential. And what she was thinking at the time was that she needs to like, be training until she's dead tired and and really like to be in that sort of position she needs to be like like in pain and going through all sorts of strife during her training when this person was like no you just need to you need to think smarter and once she started going thinking in a better way and training in this better way she started getting on a, on a on a winning streak, and I feel like just in artists in general and people in general sort of think that way. They you know they think in a in a very in the wrong way about going through their art. They think they have to almost be punished. Yeah, and I think that it comes back to like artists are always perfectionists, and we expect ourselves to do way more than what we're capable of. Like, there's always that level of expectation that can never be met in our minds, I feel. Comes back to anyone that, that is very passionate and cares a lot about what they do. How do you sort of, like, deal with the emotional, you know, costs of doing a piece of artwork? You know, you were kind of mentioning that, you know, earlier where, you know, you have the expenses like paint and time and all that, but how do you sort of deal with the emotional costs of that? Um, I, I try to deal with it the best I can. <laughs> uh, I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I have really supportive friends like Liana and my fiance are very, you know, supportive of me of what I love and what I'm trying to do. Cause a lot of people don't understand and it really is not easy because there's a fine, a huge financial barrier because again coming back to what i was saying before is depending on where you live it might not be an artist friend in the area and you might not be making a stable like living amount yeah so i think part of the struggle is just being afraid of what people will say i've had very nasty people come up to my art and laugh at my face because i told them the price of a painting like, people can be heartless not even knowing about it. They'll, they wouldn't even think they're being an asshole. But, you know, it happens all the time where I've had uh, – I was at the Trenton Punk Rock flea market selling, and someone pointed to one of my pieces at my table and said, everything else sucks except this. And who says that to an artist? Like, honestly. Yeah, who says that? What the – Like, I was crying the rest of the day. I'm like, I'm a failure. But it's – you know, it's the struggle. It's just keeping yourself emotionally and mentally happy. Um, and I really do get a lot of happiness out of painting. I think that my just, just paper on brush makes me happy just doing it. The mixing, the smell of the paint, mixing the colors, you know, it's very soothing, soothing and relaxing versus like, Digital artwork for me is very stressful, and I don't like doing it at all. Uh, I'm capable of doing it. I can do it well, but it's not what makes me happy. And For anybody... Oh, damn, I'm looking outside, and it's like thunder and raining and everything. Well, same here. It's like super hot this weekend. We're like going to be in the 90s all weekend. Uh, I think New York is hitting over 100 today. Right, we're probably around... Woo, looking crazy outside. But um, for anybody listening to this interview, like doesn't matter what sort of avenue of artistry that they're in, what's sort of a nugget of knowledge from your life that anybody listening to this could sort of project into their own life? Don't devalue, devalue yourself. You have value in what you do. Don't let anyone say less of you. 
what's uh you know what's the the future got in store for you is there anything that uh, you're working on right now anything that you want to talk about so I'm working on a couple of things. I've been dabbling in comics a little bit more. I don't know if I can officially announce this, but I'm I am I was brought onto the Guar comic and Sweet. I've been doing some assisting on that. Guar rules. I fucking love Guar. I've seen them like 15 times. I've seen them a few times and I interviewed a couple of the guys um on the Warp tour last year. Oh, nice. Yeah, I love them. I've been, me and Liana have been seeing them since high school. Uh, they're just always been a fun band, and I just somehow saw them so many times, and it's just what it is. Uh, but I'm also working on Forgotten Home, which is this awesome little indie comic that has, the first issue is out, I believe? Um, it's really great. I'm working with a lot of amazing artists on it right now. Okay. And should be working on a Romero story coming up for an anthology. Okay. So a little bit zombie action from me coming up. Cool. Who are some of your, uh, your favorite, uh, bands or music artists? Well, my favorite band is Queens of the Stone Age. All right. Um... I've been in a really weird place right now where I've been listening. I go through little phases where I get super into a genre of music and I just go ham listening to it. Same. Right now, I'm in my new wave, new wave era. Okay. First wave. So I've been listening to a lot of 80s music. Um, I've become super into Duran Duran recently. All right. <laughs> um, but I, I'm all over the place. I like a little bit of everything. I can only say what I really dislike, which is kind of country, modern country, not classic country, and uh, indie. I do not like modern indie at all. <laughs> right. <he's... laughs> I can't. I can't do it. Like it's just. I don't. I don't know what happened. It all sounds the same to me. Right. I understand um, that. Man. I get so many promos for that, and I'm like, oh, this is sounding the same, and I don't. Uh, I don't but, know. I, like, I'm trying to pinpoint, like, c coming back to, like, I love Reverend Horton Heat, um, Coffin Cats, Necromantics, uh, Satan's Pilgrims, I love surf rock, too, I'm super yeah. into surf rock, uh, all over the place, <laughs> and metal, too, and punk, too much, too much stuff. Right. What's it, what's your favorite sort of, uh, you know, when it comes to movies, what type of movies do you like the most? And, you know, what were some of your favorites? Oh, the worst question. Um, so, my favorite genre will be horror. Okay. Um, my all-time favorite horror movie would have to be The Exorcist. I think it's a classic. I think it's up there. It still holds, it still holds on its own. And it will always hold on its own because it's just such an incredible movie. Yeah. Um, but then, like, you know, I'm a huge John Carpenter fan, so of course I love Halloween, The Thing, um, Big Trouble in Little China is also up there with, like, one of my, my top five all-time, all-genre movies, Big Trouble in Little China is yes. up there. <laughs> love that movie. <laughs> it is so amazing. It's up there in, like, my top five of all genres, but I really do love, like, horror a lot, and sci-fi, too, like, can't go wrong with a classic sci-fi. If you were, you know, if you were ever to like, what's your sort of dream project? You know, what's something that you would just like to be a part of? I, so this is really, I, I, I feel like I'm at a place in my life where I really don't know what direction I'm going with my art. Right. Um, so there's a lot of like weird growing, but I would love to be doing more poster and event flyering like the whole like like Viva Las Vegas, Tiki Oasis, Viva East, Ohana on the Lake, um, Tiki Con. A lot of these like pinup community culture sort of events has a full branding for the event. And I've done 
event brandings for a small event that took place in Pennsylvania two years called RetroFest. Okay. And I would love to be doing more event flyers. Like I would love, that's what I would love to do is more event flyers, more, more branding for companies uh, in the retro community and possibly maybe some textiles. Right. Yeah. Those are all, yeah. Those sort of like concert event uh, posters are always cool when somebody like, does something special for that, you know, it's always a special thing to see, you know, and, uh, a lot of people, a lot of events are really good at that. Yeah. And I commend a lot of events for getting amazing artists to do incredible designs, but also there's nothing more depressing when I go to something and they have bad shirt designs or bad flyer designs or their poster for the event is just horrible. Like it kind of like, I expect a little bit more. Uh, yeah. I think that it comes back to one time I saw Primus out in Brooklyn, and they had the worst event poster imaginable, and they were selling it for $40. It wasn't silk screened because I collect printed posters. I'm a huge Mondo fan, so we right. have Mondo posters and silk screen posters all over our apartment. But they were charging $40 for, like, a digital printed poster, and I'm like, <sighs> Primus, I love you, but what is this? Whack. Whack. That's whack. Wow. <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing better than when bands have incredible tour posters, especially hand-printed ones. I think it's a novelty that not enough bands have anymore. Uh, I have a huge collection. Like, There's nothing above me, sadly. Or we're in the middle of moving, so our last apartment had crazy amount of amounts of wall space so we were able to put everything up and we're having a problem with our current apartment because it's so old they built the 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 walls are built with oak wood oh. and oak wood is so strong you can barely even hammer a nail into it wow so we have probably a good like 20 to 30 posters that aren't even hung that are in their frame like we have tubes filled with more and more stuff that's still not framed, and we just—I don't know what we're gonna do with all of our art. Right. Yeah. Back in the day, like the 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 concert um, posters were always really dope. Like here in Detroit, there was um, there's a famous uh, artist, Mark Armand, Mark Arminsky, that um, did a lot of the stuff for um, for pretty much everybody back in the day. Um, for all of our concert venues, and his shit is amazing. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, Coop and Rise Cooper. Like, there's so many amazing, like, poster art artists out there, and I I don't want more T-shirts. I want more band posters. I want show posters. I think that a lot of bands, like, they should have – it costs about the same amount as getting T-shirts made. Honestly, I don't know why more bands don't do it. I'm lucky enough to have some amazing Queens of Stone Age posters, Andrew WK, Guar, Manor Asherman, Murder by Death. Like, I could keep going on of, like, all the different posters we have from bands that consistently pay artists to make posters. And I think that's what I love about it most is that an artist is being paid to make this incredible piece of work that you get to hang on your wall. Is there a favorite one that you own? Well, my favorite, like my favorite poster we own is I have a 1982 Return of the Jedi poster from the movie theater that my aunt took down in the 80s, and she gave it to me. Nice. That's my favorite, of course. It's uh, it's the Luke holding his lightsaber up in like the blank background. Yeah. That that's my old time favorite poster I have, but. My actual favorite one, which is printed, uh, is by Brian Reedy. Yes. He is a block printing artist based out of South Florida. He hand carves wood blocks and he block prints everything. It's this amazing They Live poster oh. of like all the characters in a cityscape. It's incredible. And it's printed on rice paper. It's, it's amazing. It, that definitely has to be my favorite one. Not just because it's an amazing poster, but when I bought it, the people selling it at the horror movie convention actually had it damaged. And I went to a convention, and I met 
Brian, and I talked to him, and he's like, what? It was damaged? Give me your address. I'll send you one brand new. And I was like, really? So he sent me a brand new post poster, not damaged, because I, I was honest with him about them selling his posters damaged. And I've never had that sort of kindness from, like, this is not a cheap poster, by the way. So right. I super appreciate that as an artist and also as a collector that he was that nice about it. Oh, nice, nice. That's great. Cool. Um, I always like to end my interviews with a uh, with the same question. And the question is, who is somebody that you would recommend for this podcast that would have some great stories or lessons to talk about? I would like to recommend my photographer friend, Sven. Sven Photography. He's based out of Portland, Oregon. Uh, I've shot with him as a pinup. So he's incredible to work with, not only because he's super kind, caring, and respectful while shooting, but he just has a beautiful eye for photography. And I've, I've shot with a lot of photographers, and he's by far my favorite just because of the way he captures me. I think it's incredible, and I think he would have a lot of amazing stories to tell just from talking to him and being friends with him. I think his life story speaks uh, speaks huge amounts to who he is as an artist now, and he's also just trying to do what he loves also, being a photographer, which is not easy. That's also not an easy job to have. Is there, you know, you kind of mentioned some, you know, something in that in regards to being respectful as a photographer to, to you, you know, is there, you know, still a problem with, you know, photographers being, you know, disrespectful to the women that they're shooting? Yeah, I think that it is still prevalent. Um, I have been very blessed and lucky and I have had no, no issues ever with anyone ever being inappropriate with me. But I always made sure I knew who I was with. I had a friend with me or someone that could be there with me, especially if I was meeting this photographer for the first time. I think being safe about something is the most important thing. And a lot of photographers are, they want you to bring like a friend with them. They're okay with that. But I think it still happens. I haven't heard anyone it's happened to in a while, but I've heard stories. And shooting with people that are respectful and kind, I think, are a huge thing. Because you can put yourself in very vulnerable positions, especially like if you're shooting in lingerie or naked. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's been, uh, yeah, it's been great talking with you, uh, Jackie. Uh, super fun, you know. Uh, what, you know, where can people go online to get more information about what you're up to and, and if there's anything else you want to plug at this time? Well, you can really follow me on my Instagram. I'm pretty much on the gram all the time. <laughs> uh, so that's JLH underscore illustration. And I also update my website from time to time. It's a little overdue. Um, and also, I am constantly updating my Etsy shop with new paintings and stuff. So I'm always working on little things here and there. There's a lot of good Instagram. stuff on your. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on your Etsy. Yeah, I I actually have to update it like soon. I have like a giant pile of tiki paintings that didn't sell at the last event I did. But I know a couple of people were eyeballing them, so they're going up soon. I love I love this Monster Dame Club T-shirt. Ah oh, yes, <laughs> yes. I want to eventually do more apparel. That would be the ultimate goal: is to get more apparel and more pins. But it's all all very expensive. Yeah, and then the, I like the trash return of the Living Dead. Ugh. That's another good horror movie. Why did I even think of that? Like, I, I was on the spot. Return of the Living Dead and, oh, man. The Vampire Babe, Spooky. The, yeah. Yeah, those are, these are all great. I, lo I love all the, so many of the things on your, uh, your Etsy. So, yeah, go, go to her Etsy. It's really dope. There's a lot of good stuff. She has a lot of good stuff on there. You know, definitely support. Yeah. Cool. We need to, we need to eat somehow. All right. <laughs> All right, great. It's been good talking with you. 
Yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for having me on here. Uh, no problem. And uh, stay stay cool in uh, New Orleans. Watch out for uh, all the crazy weather out there. I'll just have to watch out for the gators. Watch out for the gators, yeah. So that was my interview with Jackie Von Spanks. Links to where you can follow her and check out her Selling for Introverts show on YouTube will be in the links for this episode at freshofthepodcast.com. I want to thank you all for listening. And big news, this is going to be the premiere week on the Fresh of the Word Enterprises. This week, I have new uh, two new podcasts dropping. First is the Breaking Records podcast. That's my all-encompassing music podcast. In the first episode, my guest will be Dia Frampton, one half of the pop duo Megan Dia. They recently put out a, an album right out of the blue, and we talk about that, and just announced that they'll have a Christmas album coming out soon. And I got a great lineup of other guests in the pipeline for Breaking Records, including bands like Infected Rain, Dearly Beloved, Fit for an Autopsy, The Soul Rebels, Chicago footwork artist Tracksman, Larissa Stupar from the band Venom Prism, and so much more in the works. So go to freshofthepodcast.com for more information about how you can subscribe to Breaking Records. It'll be on all the streaming platforms. It's already up on Spotify and Apple Podcasts for you to subscribe, but it should be everywhere else very soon. Then also, it is the premiere of my Detroit music podcast, Renaissance Soul. I'm bringing that name back. To anybody that knows me, that was my Detroit hip-hop music website from back in the 2000s. Started in 2001 as J. Dilla website. Then I expanded to all... Detroit hip-hop, and then some other Detroit music. But we're bringing that name back as more of a historical Detroit hip-hop podcast. Basically going to be a bi-weekly podcast where we pick a topic from Detroit hip-hop. It could be like an album, a single, an era, a spot, a record label, whatever. And we break down that, that topic with that artist in particular or somebody that was there at the time. First episode is going to be with Detroit hip-hop artist Big Tone talking about his recently released album Big Shoes that was produced by House Shoes. So we go into the whole album and there's a lot of Detroit hip-hop history spoken during that interview. That will be coming later this week and also you can go get more information at freshpodcast.com about that and it will be up on all streaming platforms especially Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So a lot of things in the works. Please share everything that you can. Um, I'm also up on Patreon at patreon.com slash fresh is the word. Um, I just uploaded some archived interviews from 2014 and 2015 with Violent J from ICP, Shaggy Tudote from ICP, Black Milk, and Frank Nitty from Frank and Dank talking about the making of Jay Dilla's Fuck the police. So I have so much content coming on these days. And on the freshofthepodcast.com website, I'm going to be doing much more non-podcast content like the mini reviews and music premieres. I have a few up already right now. So uh, please just go to freshofthepodcast.com and share anything that you need. Uh, you can also follow me particularly on my socials and it'll get you anywhere. Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at K Fresh is the word. And the, another good place to uh, get more information is on Facebook at our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fresh is the word. All right. That's, I know that's a lot to take in. Just remember to go to freshofthepodcast.com. Thank you for your support. Goodbye and good night. Fresh, 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 fresh is the word.